Today's radio, and this is episode 53, and we are back with some wonderful uh, guests this time, and we're going to be talking about uh, a certain quick starter about demons. I am one of your regular hosts, Chris, and we unfortunately uh, we don't have Mike with us this week, but of course we do have our newest host with us, Chick. How you doing, Chick? Pretty good. How about yourself? Uh, I'm good. I'm eating weird things and drinking weird things. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. More importantly... Good way to spend your weekend. <laughs> uh, Christmas Town is almost set up in, uh, in Germany here. And of course, we are joined by two excellent guests. Uh, they are the developers and writers behind Demon the Descent, the newest game from Onyx Path Publishing. So of course, we are joined by... Matt McFarland. Hello. And by Rose Bailey. Hi. And listeners, of course, are more than aware of their previous work on such things as Vampire the Requiem or Dark Ages, be it Vampire or whatnot, and Geist the Sin Eaters and general, you know, great books throughout the entire New World of Darkness line and classic World of Darkness. Um, there's, the list is too big to go through. I was just reminding myself and looking at it and just going like, yeah, that book was great. That book was great. That book was great. That book I've still yet to finish reading or use in my own games. So, yeah, I hope everyone is uh, doing well. Um, I It's normally at this point we banter about what stuff we've been gaming about, uh, well, gaming with. Um, what have I been up to? Uh Looking at, in horror at some certain toy soldiers I need to put together because they require a metric ton of green stuff. Um, and running some more Iron Kingdoms right now. And of course reading a certain new game. Uh, Jake, you've been doing some gaming? Sadly, not so much. Uh, my regular group has had uh, issues come up that have prevented us t- from getting together. So. Uh, that sucks. sucks I've been sucks, uh, sucks. reading the uh, Void Engineers book and Trying to hunt down all the typos and such in there. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, again, I still need to have a look at that, but I've been uh, <laughs> wildly distracted by a different World of Darkness book. Um, <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Um, so, Matt and Rose, um, gaming as always, I guess? Playtesting things or oh. running your regular games? Uh, running uh, Changeling uh, recently. A um, lot of Changeling. Okay. Uh, I've got an ongoing uh, historical game set in 1971. Oh, wow. And it's, uh, I sort of call it my activist changeling game. It's set in the anti-war movement and at the dawn of the gay rights movement. A, a lot of it's more mortal stuff than it is changeling stuff, but we also get a lot of weird hedge stuff in there. And last week, we had a little bit of God Machine Chronicles crossover. Oh, excellent. Ooh. So, uh, excellent. I was going to say, make sure this, that it was a uh, Changeling Lost. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, massive fan of Changeling Lost. And, um, um, and Matt's gaming wise? Oh, absolutely. 
Let's see. I'm running a Promethean the Created game. I'm running... What else am I running? I'm running Knights Black Agents. We just made characters for a uh, Better Angels game, and then it seems to me that I'm running one more monthly game. Oh, I'm running Monster Hearts. Oh, okay. So I have I have one one bi-weekly game that I run, and then the other three are, are monthly. So we're doing a lot of gaming. And actually, I'm running a one-shot of a game called Hollow Point tonight. So it doesn't seem like I'm running a lot of World of Darkness right now, but uh, I actually I ran the uh, the Demon the Descent SAS, um, you know, over about five sessions because I was writing it, and it's uh, I find that writing adventures is easier if I run them first and then mm. go back and write write down what I did. Yeah, yeah. It's funny huh? you mentioned Monster Hearts. Um, I've just started running a a game called Impossible Worlds, which is a sort of an apocalypse world variation in the style of Doctor Who. Oh, cool! Really yeah, my my players uh, really up. took to Monster Hearts like fish to water, though. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> very very much their kind of thing. I feel very cheated that the Monster Hearts game that was supposed to uh, round out our last few months in Atlanta. Before we moved, really didn't materialize. It, it was a shame. We had uh, we had some great character concepts. Let's see then. Uh, this is the point where we normally do World of Darkness, White Wolf, Onyx Path news. So I think we should head over to that. Path news. Uh, what should well, we there say? is this Kickstarter. There is a Kickstarter. Yeah, the Kickstarter is a pretty big deal, boss. Yeah. So let's let's just cut to the chase. So, um, Demon of Descent, uh, latest New World of Darkness uh, game. It has a Kickstarter. It's been running for the best part of five days. Not even. It's only started on uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is uh, at. 200% of its goal. So 84186. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, that's one. And it hit its original target in the space of about four hours. Three and a half. Three and a half. Wow. So not I as spun- good as Exalted, but what are you going to do? <laughs> not as good. I spun it at four hours uh, to uh, a little bit to catch the fours that repeat in Demon, but right, uh, right. it was actually almost exactly three and a half hours. Excellent. And, yeah, you've also, of course, um, there are plenty of um, plenty of stretch goals being unlocked as we go. So, of course, there's a bookmark. There's a uh, Seattle setting PDF. There are these uh, seeds, which are essentially story hook seeds in the style of the uh, God Machine Chronicles book, uh, which will cover different city settings as well. So they'll be based either... I guess in Seattle or other locations. And then upcoming we have ready-made characters, more seeds and the list is they'll be more revealed as we go. So um Oh, hey Rose, did you happen to hear back from Rich about the uh stretch goal that we pitched on Friday? Uh no, haven't heard back anything from him on that. Oh, that's such a shame. Oh well. I would like to be able to talk about it here, but uh yeah, but we don't have I approval can't, yet. Can't do it yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean it's great. Uh, the, the interesting things, uh, something that was interesting for me was um, the description of the style of the book, as in how it, how the cover will be printed. Because 
it's going to be more. It fits in more with the other other books with the um with the metallic-y finish underneath. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Although it is going to have an embossed logo the way oh, okay. that Mummy did. Yeah, yeah, that was. Good. So it's going to have both. I was always wondering with with Mummy because of the color scheme, it's just whether it would have even fitted having that metallic finish, or else it would have been the type yeah. of book that blinded you or something. We talked about we talked about metallic finish for Mummy. Um, I wasn't involved in too many of those conversations, but I was involved in a few. We talked about metallic finish for Mummy, and it just uh, just didn't work with the color scheme of the mm. book. That was that was basically my only guess about why it wasn't that. So um, yeah, that's good to know. Cool. We have cool. Um, certain things are shipping or are about to ship. So of course, uh, Wealth Twenty, and uh, I believe the Changing Breeds twentieth uh, anniversary book is out, and people are enjoying that. The, the PDF, uh, PDF, 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 yeah. Hunters Hunted Two is about to ship though. Yes. There's a there's a whole slew of these uh, you know books from Kickstarters that are turning up, and I think that's a real good thing because I mean, again, there's been talk in place, and I noticed Matt, you ha- you were basically damped down some fires on the on the uh, on Google Plus about oh you know that hit another Kickstarter has has begun before another one's finished, and it's it's not that's not it's, really quite true because some have finished right. and the initial product's out, and right. more parts of that product. You know, the add-ons are coming. Well, or... the thing of it is, too, I mean, the, the the question is a fair one. And the question is, you know, should should a company be running, you know, these big Kickstarters while previous Kickstarters have not been completely fulfilled? And if you were talking about a game company that is, you know, in the style of, like, mine with, uh, you know, Growling Door Games, then, I mean, then that would certainly kind of be suspect. But, you know, Onyx Path... Officially, there is one Onyx Path employee that's Rich Thomas, but there are a lot of people working on these books. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's an, actually not at all accurate to say that there are resources being taken away from, say, Exalted that are going towards Demon that are going to delay Exalted. That's not what's happening. Yeah, yeah. there's no personnel connection between Demon and Exalted at all. Really? None? Uh, unless you count that I handle Onyx Path's uh, developer right. logistics. No, there's no personal connection. Oh, there you have it. Exactly. And yeah, if, I mean, if you were limiting yourselves by any of that, then as as you mentioned, the the rate of books actually going out <laughs> would slow down monumentally. So, and the other important thing is that these books, like the Prestige Edition or the Deluxe Edition, whatever you know, with many of these books, are ninety percent complete by the time they come to the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is really just funding a traditional print run, and that's a, a very different beast to actually getting the other bits together for the book to come out as a PDF, because it would come out no matter what as a PDF. So, again, that fits into the whole thing of like that many of these Kickstarters are not a um, are not a pre-order system. They're a chance to, to get hold of something that you traditionally well that you don't get these days uh unless it's a traditional traditional print run so um yeah i mean it's good to have that answered and other news i i don't see much more else on the list there yeah there's definitely various other books 
in progress. But you know, this is all um, this is all really secondary to what we want to talk about right now. <laughs> so I think we'll just shift over to the uh, to the New World of Darkness segment, and we will um, we will talk about that because I'm not even going to bother going through our mailbag because it's all related. World of Darkness 2.0. So, Demon the Descent. There's so much in there, and um, that I've read so far, and it offers something which I think um, I think is quite. Yeah, it's really hard to put my finger on it right now. So I think the the first thing that I've start with is um, let's have the initial what the pitch is. So people that are maybe on the on the uh, fence about wanting to kickstart it or um, are not yet sold with it and say are more into uh, whichever other World of Darkness game or other RPG. Um, so either Matt or Rose give the, the pitch for Demon the Descent. And you are a, you are yes. an angel who has defected to the human race. That's Matt's words, not mine, but I think they're beautiful. I wish I had come up with that like when we were in the outline stage, actually. Yeah. Because I, I, I think that it would have been... I think that it's a really nice phrase to kind of encapsulate the game. I just thought of that when I was writing the copy for the uh, the Kickstarter video. And like, oh, well, at least I figured it out that late or that. But, uh, well, it's but probably yeah. caught on the back of the book, so... Woo! I can be clever, even if it <laughs> takes me a few months. So... I think one of the important things then to initially point out with uh, Demon of the Sun is how or what these demons are and how they relate to the god machine. Because it's, in many respects, it's quite a, uh, it, it has at its core the whole, you know, you were angels and you have fallen, you've become these demons. And that can initially, and I've actually had to correct someone on another website when they put up the Kickstarter, can come off, or, or, or someone could actually easily portray that as being very much the same as Demon the Fallen, its precursor for Classic World of Darkness. But the themes within Demon the, the Descent and the, the very nature of the angels and the very nature of the demons makes it a very different beast to that previous game that had a very similar title. So I think it's worth re- you know, really digging into um, into really what these angels and what these demons are and what really uh, you know, makes them unique within the, within the World of Darkness and to other similar beings that have been previously written about. So the God Machine is a literal machine that winds its way all throughout creation. It has an agenda. What that agenda is is probably beyond human comprehension in a sort of mechanized Cthulhu sort of a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it understands people as a species, that is, it knows that there are people on Earth, it knows that they're capable of manipulating their environment, it doesn't understand a person. So to deal with people on sort of a micro level, it creates angels. It also creates angels to do things like, you know, raise buildings, destroy planets, you know, whatever it really needs done, move souls around from one place to another, build things. Um, And occasionally, one of these angels decides, screw this, for whatever reason. And there are a lot of different reasons to fall. Um, 
the uh, the game that I ran when I ran the SAS, one of the angels or one of the demons was a guardian. One of the demons was a destroyer. The destroyer had been as an angel assigned to kill this one particular. She was a barista at a coffee shop actually, um, and so this guy was a destroyer angel, and his mission was to kill her. The guardian was assigned to protect her, and when those two angels realized that their missions were mutually exclusive, they both fell. Hmm. Now, what what they did with that information later was very different because the destroyer kind of wanted to stay a demon and didn't never wanted to go back. And the guardian was like, no, I want to go back into the God machine, but fix this glitch first. So this doesn't happen again. So one of the big differences then between well one of the big differences then between demon the descent and demon the fallen is that demon the fallen assumed a kind of judeo christian model where you know god was the abrahamic god mm-hmm. and demon the descent assumes this technonostic uh, model where the god is the god machine which is you know kind of a very different setup but the other thing is too that i mean demons in demon the fallen all else being equal, might have liked to go back to being angels because they were cast out of paradise, if you will. The demons in Demon the Descent are actively hiding from their previous existence as angels. And their mm. god would love to have them back. It just wants to take them apart and, you know, use their parts. Mm-hmm. Another thing about, uh, about uh, Fallen versus Descent is that in... Fallen, angels and God are things that are very absent from the modern world. It follows Mm. sort of the tradition of the classic world of darkness as uh, not all of the lines, but many of the lines presenting the world as a spiritually bankrupt place. That's not at all the case in The Descent. In The Descent... God is an active force in the world. Now, that God may be the Gnostic Demiurge rather than Mm. the traditional loving God of Christianity, but God is still there, palpably there, physically there. You can go see God's gears. Whereas, (laughs) um, and angels are active forces in the world. They protect some people. They destroy other people. They stop natural disasters. They ensure plagues. They do all of these things that are very active in the world. There's this whole idea of an active opposition that didn't exist at all in Fallen. Hmm. Um, and yet there are still many of the same questions of motivation that were so prevalent in Fallen. In Fallen, there was... Uh, there were questions of just how sneaky a bastard is God? Did God plan this? And those same questions are present in Descent. Um, a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the greater mysteries of uh, what God is, what God intends, and what the purpose of loyalty to that God was or is are still present in the Descent. Hmm. Uh, and it's um, the one thing that's good is you've you've brought up there is the um, is the the idea that uh, the god machine is kind of this um, gnostic demiurge because this was one of the things that um, Mike and I had in our initial conversations when we looked at the um, some of the pre-release stuff for uh, Demon of the Descent and the Quick Starters how that 
that really starts asking, uh, uh, opens up the world in some respects and opens up the, the cosmology in, in interesting ways because, yes, this is a god with its angels and its demons, but then it's not the it's not the final answer. There are many things beyond it as well, which I think in Demon of the Fallen, because it presented, you know, there is this god and there are the demons and they are the the gods and demons and angels of uh, of you know Abrahamic religion. It kind of was a, a kind of final in its in its in what it was uh, presenting. Whereas I think, yeah, the God Machine is this huge thing that's very difficult to kind of comprehend <laughs> and that's great because it, it it just blows the entire setting open and well it does depend on on uh, whose perspective you're asking <laughs> you know the average demon is much more inclined to identify uh it, to identify their god with um perhaps misunderstandings of the gods of real religions mm-hmm um uh demons see the god machine everywhere and they should because it's looking for them but uh as a whole it doesn't make a statement about who created the world of darkness did the god machine create the world of darkness possibly certainly the god machine benefits from the world of darkness being the way the world of darkness is um but then again, there may be some force beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there's room, in fact, I mean, this came up in the, in the Demon the Descent game that I ran. Uh, there's room for demons to believe in a different higher power than the God Machine. Oh, that's wicked. That's really cool. Well, and- well sure, if you can go see God's gears and you can, you know, posit that someone had to put those gears in place. <laughs> kind of a cosmic watchmaker theory writ large, yeah. Yeah, well, that was that was the inspiration, and I think it's I think it's actually kind of name checked the uh, cosmic watchmaker um, issue in uh, my original pitch um, for the game. When you say the demons can go see uh, the god machine's gears, uh, the way the, the gears is a is a very kind of like. Um, can mean really anything in in that way you know they're not literal gears all the time they, they it's you you can see the um how the god machine is manipulating the world in a very machine-like manner to move resources around and people and and the way those infrastructures that it creates to do that manifests have a machine-like feel to them so but they're not necessarily always a machine is that right? Well, that's true. Uh, processes of the God Machine infrastructure can take a lot of forms. Mm-hmm. Um, in many cases, you are looking at literal machinery that's part of the God Machine. But in other cases, your bank could be part of the God Machine. My bank. Your <laughs> suburban subdivision could be part of the God Machine. Yeah. Um, the occult matrices that relate to infrastructure are not uh not tied specifically always to mechanical components although they do tend to trend that way mm-hmm. i mean in the example of the bank you might find that uh in the uh furnace room of the bank's headquarters there's a boiler with a beating heart inside it you yeah. know yeah. um 
and uh, actually that's uh, something to plug another book. Uh, the Hunter antagonist book that's coming up is going to deal somewhat with infrastructure in the form of what it calls institutional demons. Oh, excellent. And so the kinds of things that can be infrastructure that aren't that, – that are sometimes but are not always literal machines. Hmm. It reminds me of some of the uh, – which one is it? Again, another short story that I can't remember the title of it. Um, but it's in the Golden Machine Chronicles anthology, and it's the case of the um, – I think it's the election of a new mayor, and there is a – Yeah, uh, that's a Chicago working system. Yes, yeah, one. yeah. I that's, really uh, like that. That's David Hill's story. Yes, I rem- yeah. I was going to think, I was like, I'm sure he wrote that one. Because yeah, we were talking about it when he was last on the show. Um, and yeah, there's again some sort of like uh, organ with various uh, metallic rods through it that's being used for you know a ritual. And of course, there are numerous strange events going on in order to move people around so that the uh, god machine can uh, have its way with the world. Um, so... One of the other interesting things within Demon Descent is, I think, is how you really do address how these demons are very different to other things that are can be called demons within the setting as well. Or you can call just about any World of Darkness monster a demon. True. <laughs> uh, hunters apply the label frequently to vampires, yes. <laughs> uh, even though we don't do it out of character. Um. But it, I think one of the, the nice things is just how um, – it's actually really how I think Demon does, does slot into the grander setting as well. Um, and so there's obviously a lot – there's a lot here to use either both in a self-contained game and how you want to drop it in or drop other elements in. And you know I always like that in, in any of the books, and especially if you can find something from this that you can even port back into Classic World of Darkness. So there's loads of great stuff in there. Um, so the thing that we can mention is that demons fall into sort of four kind of classes, um, and they relate to their roles as, uh, when they were angels, and either then the uh, demon can still pursue these, uh, kind of roles, uh, these incarnations, or they can even act against them. So we have these uh, the the concept of the destroyer, concept of the guardian, a messenger, or a psychopomp. Um, and then on top of that, we have demons. Uh, demons have agendas. So we have uh, the inquisitor, the integrator, the saboteur, and the tempter. So is there any particular reason, uh, you know, genesis for for the setup of, of a demon? Like how did how did uh, how did this version of Demon uh, kind of grow and evolve? Did it was it originally kind of conceived separate from the ideas of the God Machine uh, as presented in the World of Darkness core book, or was it kind of that gave you this avenue to really explore a type of uh, a type of demon and maybe a type of horror that we haven't seen in the World of Darkness before? Well, it was absolutely not conceived separately from the God Machine, um, so. What happened was I was helping Rich put together one of our sets of pitch proposals to CCP for uh, for 2012-2013. And 
we wanted to have some common themes running through them, and we wanted to be building on mythology elements that were unique to the world of darkness, mm-hmm. uh, to, the, to the new world of darkness, so that we didn't have, um, you know, one of the things working with CCP and their interest being in building up the collection of ideas that they might have to mine at a later date. Their ideas, <laughs> their interest is in seeing us do new stuff. Yeah, and do stuff with the two worlds of darkness that are distinct. So, you know, with that general mission, I said, well, one of the beautiful, unique things about the world of darkness is that uh, God machine fiction from the core rulebook. And so I I pitched a set of two books based on that mythology and book. Number one was the God Machine Chronicle, mm-hmm. um, which would double as our chance to revise the rules. And book number two was <laughs> Demon the Descent, which would deal with, well, if it's God, what are its angels? Cool. Mm-hmm. So it was very it was very rooted in the mythology of the New World of Darkness right from the start. That was that was the entire motive, in fact. Yeah, I, I mean the 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 initial you know God Machine fiction back from the core book is is just like it's absolutely awesome and left so many unanswered questions for people and basically people so you know running games running chronicles based on that initial fiction and to come back to that you know pretty much like ten years later or you know, around about ten years later or so to to take that and to build an entire um, further expanded mythology from it and uh, demon from that is uh, excellent. I think one of the things that stands out is, and this ties back into uh, a Dark Days episode we did a while back, was um, something which I often feel gets missed is kind of what I call the science of evil and that's the title of what we gave it but it's the idea that... Isn't that that a Doctor Who serial? Is it? Oh shit! <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. It, it just sounds like one. But uh, it's the idea that, like you know, the, that while we have all this strange kind of, you know, you have all the paranormal and mystical kind of elements in the world of darkness, is that often science can get to the science can be pushed to its very bleeding edges. And I weirdness. Really called bleeding edge. Yeah. Exactly. And <laughs> the and that weirdness can be found there, where you haven't even you haven't sacrificed a goat to some some demon. You haven't you haven't you know been enacting some ritual with Atlantean sigils. You know you you've got to the very edges of of actual the physical laws and rea- uh, of reality, and yet weird stuff then is found or created because of what you do. So be it you know biological testing or, or or something to do with you know something happening at CERN you know various uh, elementary particles running rampant and causing chaos and one of the things I like about you know in Demon Descent is the fact that the demons have this uh, biomechanical kind of uh, form and again I think that that's that puts them as being very different entities uh, as well you know the angels as well um, makes them very different entities to sp- what could be considered similar beings, be they the uh, the demons of the Inferno, uh, or their uh, the Abyssal entities from Mage, or um, or the Quashilim from Promethean. So, 
how how did you know your view of what demons would be their powers and uh and abilities kind of evolve then from this idea of the god machine well to start with um the whole notion that we would have these kinds of traditional uh, angelic and demonic silhouettes, but with biomechanical details, that was part of the initial pitch. Um, it was part of tying it back to the God machine. Um, I had the notion that I wanted the powers to operate in two categories, both of which involved manipulating reality more on a conceptual level on moving, not to overuse the word, the gears underneath reality than the uh, than some of the more, shall we say, blunt force kinds of things that you can do in mage. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so that that was that was my take on it. And then Matt just took with took it and ran with it and wrote 120 fantastic powers. <laughs> based on that very loose framework I provided, Matt Matt is really the mastermind of the powers. Um, I writing embeds and exploits. I one really just built on the other because I knew that I didn't want like dot by dot lists the way that uh, Vampire does disciplines because mm-hmm. I wanted de- powers for demons to be a little bit more modular. And so uh, the other thing is, too, that it's it's easier for me writing powers if I don't have to worry about uh, power levels, if, you know, all of them are on the same, you know, level, more or less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I looked at embeds as these are really just metaphysical equations that angels use kind of instinctively, or rather use as they're programmed to use them. Demons can use them by remembering that they're there. <laughs> and then exploits are what happens when you overclock an embed. Basically, <laughs> in, instead of using it the way that it's normally used, you take that equation and you divide by zero or whatever. And, you know, it, it makes something big and loud and showy and fun. And it can attract attention, but it will probably also have a much more pronounced effect. Um when I was uh, outlined the Demon Player's Guide, and there's going to be some new exploits and embeds in there, and I said, you know, the, the proper way to look at an exploit is um, the exploit is the power that your demon uses after they say the phrase "fuck it." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I embeds and exploits, and the very concept of how um, how demons approach reality compared to mages. I mean. And you know you, you make a call back to it in um, in the inspirational sources, and of course you know if you want something to easily kind of give you an idea of what it looks like is you know is actually the Matrix trilogy. You know, mages are the hackers. They they'll they don't use what's what's built in. They they literally change things wholesale and change the very the, whole sections of of the code and write entire new sections. Whereas the um, the demons are more like the agents or say like uh, other programs within in the matrix which use what's already there or use the back doors. I imagine like the back doors are kind of like exploits or maybe not even exploits would be yeah doing something really really bad. I mean the the computational chemist in me just likes the the entire concept of that because I, I you know I get exactly that I uh, that kind of uh, idea of of using 
using code in standard traditional way and then finding bits of code that no one else really knows about when you use that one or you do something which is not standard Fortran and if anyone does that they really shouldn't because it won't compile properly all the time on different machines and that causes some real fucking craziness so yeah it's great I totally get it totally it's awesome so okay um, favorite powers uh, favorite embeds and exploits that you've seen then that have been written the ones that really you just think that's that shows this game for what it can be well the first well. one Matt showed me was Hush which allows you to take someone down without making a sound at all was inspired by the very beginning of Casino Royale where Daniel Craig is uh, getting in the fight in the bathroom now that is not a silent fight but I was thinking to myself just I, I really like the way that fight's choreographed. It's really brutal. Yeah. And I enjoyed the idea of a demon, you know, having that fight while outside, you know, the, the guy that he's beating up, you know, the, his backup's right out there like, oh, he can call us anytime. <laughs> Hush. So. That was, the, again, that was the first power Matt sent me. And it really nailed to me what demon powers could be. And the kinds of actions they enabled as well as the embeds and exploits demons also have some uh, more innate abilities that derive from their original kind of angelic demonic forms which obviously we don't normally see because they appear like humans um and these all tie into the again that very uh, biomechanical kind of look and theme of of the creatures. So there's a whole host of things like I've seen like you know metallic jaws that can just bite through <laughs> anything, or uh, or um, uh, electrical kind of uh, discharges and so forth. Um, so any kind of bits you kind of like in there because you just think that looks like a badass demon if you have that. Or, or selection of uh, of uh, demonic form things. Well, you just like in the process of describing it, named all of my favorites. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> so the big mechanical maw that just eats uh, everyone. No, I, I love the I love the big jaws. I love the big jaws. Um, I love the ability to customize your demonic form. It was one of the things. Um, well. I mean, I, I suppose as a role player, it makes it, 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 it's no surprise. I like customization, mm-hmm. and I like that my character has a big monster form that I get to adjust how I want to. That gives me special abilities, and that I get to, um, and, and that I get to define for myself. It's a little more freeform than picking an exploit embed set. Um, uh, there's still a set of defined lists to pick from, but you're sort of building your own horror, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. There's a thread right now on the uh, Onyx Path forums where people are describing their demonic forms, and it's really cool. Oh, yeah. Like that's because, I mean, you know, I... Uh, Danielle uh, Lausen actually wrote that section, and then you know I, I went through and and developed it, and you know okay this will look really cool if this you know this power leads to this kind of modification. But we tried to make it clear in the draft that you know our suggestions for what a particular power does to a demonic form's appearance are just suggestions, and people have really taken that uh, and run with it. 
um, and come up with some some combinations and some images that I think are really evocative and that you know I never would have thought of. I know that uh, one of them I don't know what power it was um, that he had in mind, um, but uh, the the I shouldn't say he actually I have no data on that, but um, uh, this person talked about the uh, the demonic form as having uh, butterfly wings with the, with this kind of uh, black circuitry. Oh right, uh, yeah. Got the thing on back. I'm like, that's really cool looking. I like that idea. Yeah, I, I I've used something similar um, for a type of spirit uh, in uh, my Manchester setting for mage. So they're um, they're called the gentlemen, and they're uh, bat spirits with their ears look like top hats from far enough away, and they've got big cloaks, but you can see circuit boards because they're bats that are somehow tied into the uh, computer history of Manchester, because obviously you've got... Um, uh, why have I become the greatest computer programmer of all? Turing, obviously. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole circuit boards in uh, in Wings really, yeah, is a really cool thing for, for demons. That's And, yeah, butterfly wings. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, so these demons, they fall obviously because they choose to or they are pushed to make the choice to uh, to cut themselves off from the god machine and they have to they they take a cover which is essentially a uh, a constructed life uh, which originally was a constructed life which served a purpose so they could operate as an angel within uh, within the world and now obviously uh, I guess on falling it kind of mo- that cover more more or less manifest more fully within the world, and so how how do how do uh, what are these covers like then and then? Well, not really how they're like, but um, I guess how would you? The main thing about demons you're hiding from the god machine. So so what is the path that a demon takes from from getting their first cover and then getting more? And do they get a choice in how many they can have or? And so forth. Um, how many covers a demon can have is based on the demon's primum rating, and the primum is uh, the power stat um, of demons, kind of analogous to blood potency and vampire okay. and so forth. So if you have primum one, you can only have the one cover. Um, and I think it goes up one for one after that, but I don't have the chart in front of me. Sure. Um, so it is possible to start out uh, to make a starting character that has multiple covers, you just have to, you know, spend the merit dots to buy up your primum and then spend a merit dot to buy another cover. But in play, um, there are a couple of different ways that you can acquire new covers. One is called, um, a soul pact. So you basically make a pact with a person that says, I will give you this, whatever it is that you're giving them money, riches, fame, wealth, good looks, chocolate. Um, and then when I want it, I come and take your soul. Uh, and in context, what that means is the demon touches the person, and that person is completely annihilated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the demon steps into their place in reality and takes their identity as a cover. That's awesome. Now, <laughs> now of course, so that, there are also partial versions of that. Demons mm-hmm. can shave off portions of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And and one of the one of the things that I find uh, very compelling is that a demon can actually make you a trade for a part of your life you don't really want, but to the demon it's like gold. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Um, I don't really want to be so-and-so's boyfriend anymore. <laughs> so the demon can take that part. Wow. Me. And then, and in fact, it is possible then for a demon to cobble together a cover using multiple small pieces of multiple different lives. Um, this is called a patch job. And it leads to a more, if you can get it going and raise your cover rating up, it actually leads to a more stable cover because it's harder for an investigator to poke holes in it. But it just takes longer. It's more of a time investment. And then the third way to gain a new cover is something called angel jacking. Mm-hmm. And that requires that you know when and where an angel is going to manifest. Um, but if you can, you can basically plug yourself into the God, machi- God Machine's infrastructure and absorb the angel as it's coming in. <laughs> and that way you get whatever cover the God Machine was going to design for the angel. Now, the bad news is that the God Machine still assumes the angel is down there. And if you don't do the angel's job, uh, the God Machine can track you. Nasty. Wow. But, um, yeah, so. Unless you find some kind of plot hook that lets you out of it, like, oh, say, sure. a facility that can disconnect you from the god machine yet again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which cool. I think is actually one of the possibilities we telegraph in the book. Yep. yep. There's a few different ways to get out of that particular uh, particular trap. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you can find a friendly little, friendly little changeling that has enough ability to uh, cut the threads of fate and put a few zeros and ones in between on that connection for you. Um, <laughs> cool. Or, or a mage with enough or a mage. magic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. Maybe. Um, oh, that. I mean, that that bring the whole thing of covers. I mean, that's really cool with the idea of patchwork people as well, because it brings in so many different ways that you can you can pull these things together and. Um, I'm just. Try- I'm now just thinking, like, wow, a demon operating with a, a sin eater to kind of somehow grab parts of people's lives pulled out of the uh, out of the underworld, or or something like that. You know, kind of you lives that have been already used, but you know, you've brought them back from the uh, from the recycle bin. Um, and yeah, that's really really wicked. Okay. Um, Chick, do you have any particular questions on Demon of Descent? And then we can move uh, on to listener questions. I do have and a question about, the, uh, about cover. If you take someone over, if they say, here, you can have my body when I'm done with it, what happens to them when you kick them out? Is that covered? Uh, what, their body? Do you care? No, to, to their them. <laughs> oh. If you, if you soul-packed someone, mm-hmm. um, and then you come and claim them, uh, they are gone. There is no more them. Their body is annihilated. Their soul is gone entirely. You wow, that is can a... take. You can switch between you know your co- current cover and them as a cover. Um, it alters the memories of the people around them. Well, it actually, it doesn't need to for that kind of mm-hmm. uh, that kind of soul job, does it? Um, no, I'm sorry. What I was going to say was it doesn't give you that person's memories. So you sort of need to be careful that you're not taking a person that you can't effectively impersonate mm-hmm. um, but then again demons have perfect poker faces <laughs> so you you literally can't catch a demon in a lie where rather you can, you can if they say something that's demonstrably untrue but you'll never know that they're lying as far as you know they're telling the truth hmm. um, demons always and, seem to be telling the truth the only way to find out that the demon is lying is either to know that what they're saying is wrong or to have the kind of suspicion that you might have that they have a reason to lie to you. 
Um, It doesn't affect your own judgment, Mm. but they give no outward sign. Even to magic powers. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Wow. That's a nice little power they have. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite favorite uh, innate demon powers. The other one is that demons speak every language. Um, anything that can conceivably be a native language, um, demons speak fluently. <laughs> so one way to know if you're talking to a demon, if you are another demon, is to talk to them in a language that is likely completely unknown to your surroundings. So if you're in Ohio, you walk up to someone and you start speaking like Basque or something. If they can answer you, you know, there's a good chance. Oh, just now, watch, now, now watch, I'll find out that there's a thriving Basque community in, like, Lima or something. Wow. Not that I'm aware. So, cool. so yeah. Cover is, um, cover is actually, I think, one of my favorite parts of the game. Um, Mine too. And it's, one of the things that I really like about it is that the whole concept of cover is in itself kind of a, a patch job, because it, it wasn't in the original pitch. Um, it's something that the the group of us, the writers, kind of came up with as we were going and kind of added these things in. Oh, can you bargain for people's souls and get other covers? Well, what if you – I think it was Travis Stout that came up with the idea of angel jacking. I'm like, yes, put that in, put that in. That was actually Dave Brookshaw came up with angel jacking. Oh, was it? Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry, Travis. Yeah. Sorry. No, but Travis <laughs> came up with a lot of the cool things. So yeah. cover, there was, an, there was originally this idea in uh, my original Bible – um, there was originally this idea that you had a cover that came from when you fell from the God machine. And then the writers just sort of really ran with that and came up with all these ways to come up with new covers, which are just fantastic, with all these ways to build cover and to pierce cover and really made it an integral part of gameplay in a way that I really love. Uh, I think it's a really it's a really cool thing because obviously it – um, it adds a, a, another dynamic element to the game because it allows you to to role play other characters while still playing the same character, sort mm-hmm. of. And I think that's that's really wicked um, because then you can really build up all these different covers and they become fully fledged characters in themselves. Yet yeah, are joined together by this machine that's operating behind the mask. Um, that's really wicked. I like it. So we'll quickly cover a few of our listener questions. We had on Reddit, uh, OJerry19 asked that what keeps an integrator from sabotaging or turning traitor to every fellow demon they meet? Or for that matter, why would any demon risk associating with someone that longs to return to which to that which is perceived as the enemy? Um Obviously, obviously, he goes on that in the game there is elements of espionage and, and double agents and so forth. But yeah, I think you know it's a valid question. Like yeah, how how I guess then how how does that how does that work within Demon and then how's that balance with like making a, a playable group of characters? Well, one one thing is that. Uh, nothing stops an integrator from betraying the group, and I've had that happen <laughs> uh, generally in one-shots. Um, but the the larger answer to the question is, for one thing, an integrator isn't necessarily interested in going back to the god machine, no questions asked, because if that were the case, they'd just do it. It's not hard. You know, you just kind of, like, go to a rooftop and use an exploit and wait for the angels. They'll be along presently. Um, an integrator is a, is a demon that wants to go back, but... And then On what follows... 
Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and what follows the butt is, you know, like the, the, the Guardian that I mentioned earlier, his thing was, I want to go back, but I don't want any more of these glitches that, you know, cause angels to work at cross purposes. I played an integrator who wanted to go back, but he wanted to keep his autonomy because mm-hmm. he enjoyed giving sermons, actually. They want CPUs um, and privileges <laughs> on the server. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and not every integrator thinks that other demons should go back. You know what I mean? Like uh, this, okay. this isn't, it's not, it's not necessarily a proselytizing kind of a thing. Like we should all go home. This is, this isn't working for me. You guys, you know, have fun trying to find hell. Mm. Um, so there's that. And integrators have some useful insights into angels, uh, that make them handy to have around, but on a kind of more metagame level, the way that you know that your that your group can, can uh, work with the integrator is that when you're making characters, one player says, I want to make an integrator, uh, and the other players say, okay, why are we working with your character? And then you hash <laughs> that out as you're making yeah. characters. Yeah. Yeah, as always, have a, have a, have the group work out their uh, template or... or uh, yeah. Uh, and why they're working together. I mean, it's it's critical because you know because then you can put in like my character may may well screw you guys over at some point, but we'll do it in a fun manner that's an right. engaging storytelling experience rather than haha taking a loop. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> well, I always uh, I always encourage. Uh, by the way, this really isn't anywhere official in the world of darkness rules. I always encourage creating characters as a group. Spend a session doing that. Yes, absolutely. And, and actually, it is a little bit in Blood and Smoke. There is a system for going around the table as a group, creating character interconnections. Okay. Um, I put that but, into um, the Mage the Awakening demo, actually. There's a whole section on uh, making the Cabal and actually making it, you know, establishing this history between these characters because obviously you haven't played through it. But in order for the story to work the way it's supposed to, it needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I definitely recommend to anybody who's listening, uh, make characters as a group. It's much more fun. Okay. The other thing is, too, I mean, and this, this has come up on the Onyx Path forums uh, just recently, um, not in the context of integrators, but if we were talking about uh, some of the ex, some of the embeds. Um, and somebody was saying, well, you know, what stops me from, you know, doing this and doing this and I mean basically like making the storyteller's life hell and just you know hitting the prince of the city you know and using knockout punch and I said well you know what you're describing is a player who's trying to troll the storyteller and in my opinion if the player is trying to do that that is not a failure of the game mechanics yeah so you know and like I don't think I don't think that it's unfair for us as game designers to assume that the the players are going to be playing the game in good faith, as it were. Yeah. Um, so and and that's you know it it seems like it seems like a, a way to dodge the question, but really it's it's the answer to the question. The group works with an integrator in it because the group has decided that it works with an integrator in it, and people have designed their concepts in a way that is, if not harmonious, then at least functional. Cool. Um, and, of course, the other thing, by the way, is that uh, I would argue you can't use Knockout Punch on the Prince of the City 
because uh, because vampires don't have unconsciousness in the same way humans don't. I actually did bring that up a couple of posts later. I'm like, you know, I'm not even sure if that embed would work on a vampire now that I think about it. But you know, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, stupid loser man on the Onyx Path forums asked, uh, could you share any sample thoughts you had on the cipher, such as for characters in playtest games? It seems it could benefit from uh, a few example cases, which uh, the book is otherwise very good about. So um, I have to admit, I haven't read fully up on what the cipher is, so maybe this seems to be an important thing. Uh, briefly, what the cipher is and uh, how it works in the game. Sure. Um, the cipher is a series of four embeds okay. that learn sequentially and then plugged into the cipher as... Um, reveal something called the final secret. And the final secret is, I think I describe it in the book as a technostic cone. Um, that's K-O-A-N, not C-O-N-E. Um, that helps a demon on uh, his own descent. Okay. So, and the end of it, like somebody described it as, as, as sort of a fortune cookie, and I suppose that's one way to look at it, um, that the final secret is um, just a not a not a specific instruction but just kind of a way to approach the descent that should help the character along their way now by the time that you've figured out all four of the embeds that go into your cipher and plug them all in um the intent is that the game's been going for a while mm -hmm. and you know some progress along that line has already been made so hopefully the storyteller you know has a way to uh to to incorporate that um, but as far as the way that it looks for the player, um, everybody starts out with one embed already in the cipher. You pick one of your starting embeds uh, to be your first. It's called a key. Mm -hmm. And then during the game, um, if you if your character gets a beat during a scene that involves angels or other god machine sorts of things, you can make a roll. If you succeed on the roll, you learn a fact about the next embed that goes into your cipher. Okay. So you learn the category, you learn what attribute it keys off of, you learn... so, And then eventually you'll just learn specifically which one it is if you want to be patient. If you don't want to be patient, you can just pick any embed you want, plug it into the cipher, and hope that it works. Ah, uh, right, okay. The way... The way it's kind of it's it's sounding to me then is it's almost like um, again to go back to some computer programming speak um, it's like having different uh, different uh, functions which are passing in and out data and then once you've got the right sequence of these you know it allows you to uh, pass the data which be it reality as you see it and reveals more about it and how you interact with it. That's true, but computers don't explode if you put the wrong data in. Ah, that's a problem. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, cool. Not unless you're Captain Kirk. <laughs> well, but who? But who is really? Brilliant. Uh, uh, Rich Thomas uh, sometimes uh, likes to refer to himself as Admiral Kirk. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, let's push on with some more of these questions. I think some of these we've already uh, covered. As they were um, some at the start, so obviously uh, we should thank Peter Mars for his questions on uh, uh, the Google Plus community, and because he works in the background for us on certain sideshows for uh, Darker Days. Um, we have 
Eric Crabtree asks, what do you think was the hardest part about developing uh, Demon of Descent? Getting it on time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think really what I want to push on to to wrap up is um, what do you feel, what what then is, what a typical Demon of Descent game will focus on in terms of plot and themes and you know what you feel the the default is to running this game what it should feel supplies what type of stories should come up in the chronicle and you know how that compares to say vampire mage or geist because obviously they have their own type of stories that they you know if you look at them they as as a default they can tell well demons very much about learning the truth of the world while also learning who you can trust that's I think the shortest I could put it and the one thing I'm going to finish off with because it's uh, it's um, it's a big it's one thing which I was quite happy to see pop up in the list of angelic beings and demonic beings um, you do actually make you a good you know, paragraph about the Quashulim in the setting. So, is there uh, are we going to get some future insight into how the Quashulim fit in with the angels and demons and the god machine? Because they seem to be something else. And I think it because of of what Prometheans about and what what demons about it, they seem to come from. Uh, they fit in very much with the kind of the Gnostic. Uh, themes of, of uh, the Demiurge and the Abraxas. So is that something we're going to see a bit more of in any future demon books? Well, they're I very like it... angels, but they operate by different principles. <laughs> yes. I think, that it's, I think that it's likely that you will probably at least see some exploration of the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm inclined, and we're just talking here. This is, yeah. this is not anything that's been planned. But I'm inclined to do with it very much what we did in Equinox Road when we started talking about Mage Arcadia versus Changeling Arcadia. Yeah. And that is to say, here is one way to look at it. Here is another way to look at it. Here is yet a third way to look at it. Which one is true in your chronicles? That's really up to you. Because it's not – it isn't important enough in setting to nail it down. And I think that we, I think that we lose more than we gain by providing a definitive answer. Now, with that said um, – I have some very specific ideas about uh, what the principle is versus what the god machine is yeah. and how they tie together. But, um, you know, you can probably just watch my Promethean <laughs> to create an actual play and see that come out. That's what I've been thinking because I've, I've been wondering what with the god machine being this huge, you know, cosmic machine that's that's basically doing numerous computations and taking input and output from the world of darkness how the hell the god machine puts up with the principle creating other entities in the world in a chaotic manner which are the prometheans that's just like that's just got to piss you off when one of these created beings comes along and causes havoc to your infrastructure or or creates an infra- infrastructure or does something um because obviously the, the to me that represents within the big within within demon they are a, an excellent chaos factor um yeah it's uh, it's entirely possible that not all of the angels that Prometheans talk to are Kashmalim. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> that's because a very how would they point. know the difference? Exactly, and then and I don't even want to begin to think how the X arts fit into all this. But I'm sure Dave has some. Dave Brookshaw has some yeah, interesting. Dave actually, to, to Dave actually has that. a very solid non-canon explanation for that. Oh, oh, I'm going to have to get him back on the show for that one. That sounds very, very interesting. Yeah, I have, I have an idea that they. I have a few ideas on that as well. Um, but it would be hit, nice to hear what he has to say. Um, Chick, close the remarks on that one, or should we do the secret frequency? Let's move on to the secret frequency. Today, on this show, we bring for the secret frequency uh, something about a major biological discovery inside Chernobyl reactor. So, What's going on with this? Uh, there's been a recent exciting biological discovery inside the tomb of the Chernobyl reactor. It sounds like it's something from a B-grade sci-fi movie. It sounds kind of something you shouldn't really expect. But then when you really think about it, you often hear, you get on BBC nature programs that say David Ashenborough going, you really wouldn't expect life to survive here. And this is one of these cases. They discovered a thick coat of a black slime growing on the walls of the reactor, or at least within the tomb of the reactor. And of course, it's really radioactive there, and so scientists really didn't expect to find anything living there, let alone thriving like this slime is actually doing. So the slime, a collection of several fungi actually, uh, is doing more than just surviving on the ra- in a radioactive environment. It's actually using the gamma radiation as a food source. So samples of these fungi were discovered to significantly grow faster when exposed to gamma radiation at 500 times the normal background radiation level. The fungi appear to use uh, a form of melanin, the chemical that is in human skin that allows us to uh, not get irradiated by UV. and is of course very similar to chlorophyll, which plants use, and is actually very similar to certain other stuff in chemistry to do um, light-initiated wonders of chemistry. Anyway, this uh, melanin molecule gets struck by gamma ray, and of course the chemistry alters, and life for this fungi continues, and it does what it does, powered by radiation. To cut this into a short story, we have this fungus, this, this biological entity, that's discovered to actually live on radioactivity. And an example of how life can live in the most hazardous environments known to man. And how can we make use of this in our World of Darkness games? Now, of course, I initially are drawn to thinking about what this means uh, within regards to uh, Promethean. Uh, I mean, is this, uh, is this slime something that grows in the... Uh, the wasteland effect due to the uh, radioactive Prometheans and so is a really bad thing for uh, for people to come across as it begins to grow behind their fridges as this Promethean is living in the uh, derelict building down the road. Could this slime represent uh, a hazard in the form that it may have some form of spiritual reflection? I mean, is there some sort of uh, abomination, a uh, uh, 
fancy of the word again, it's gone. Uh, but you know, some amalgam of 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 spirits of of radioactivity and of some fungus that this represents have been merged together, and so it's uh, a very strange form of antagonist for our uh, for our werewolves. Maybe it's something that uh, the scientists of uh, the progenitors in technology be very keen to get hold of, or maybe. Maybe this is just something they left behind. They've already got this stuff, and they are—they're manufacturing this at in large le, le, large amounts, and they're shipping it around the world. But what happens when one of these shipments goes off somewhere and gets lost and starts causing some strange mutations to people? You're going to have to send in a progenitor team to sort it out. Maybe this slime is actually vaguely related to a certain black mold, which uh, which. Vampires in Vampire the Requiem fear for their lives if, it, if, if they ever find it growing in the walls of derelict buildings. Um, or maybe this is a perfect example of one of the God Machine's infrastructures, and it is wanting to grow this stuff in large quantities. Now, Here, here's the thing there, actually. Okay. The God Machine hates waste. <laughs> and as the God Machine pushes humanity to evolve more and more technological infrastructure, there's more and more potential for disaster. And the God Machine knows this. The God Machine, to the extent that it thinks in our terms, is aware that its processes are imperfect, that things can go wrong. And so something like this slime may represent an effort to salvage uh, something, that went to, something that went wrong in the past. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, the other thing I was thinking of is this is actually the dormant form of uh, Pandorans of uh, of the same, you know, radioactive uh, radioactive uh, Prometheans. Um, and so, obviously, when uh, Prometheans come nearby, this this uh, foul slime takes form uh, uh, into a more solid kind of you know whatever killer form it takes. Or maybe it just becomes animated like the blob. Which seems ridiculous when you look back at the old one, at the old films, but that's actually really scary. Is uh, is this uh, this uh, slime killing you? I mean, after all, there's necrotic bacteria that can cause horrible things to the human body, and and just the idea of it's, it's a very it's a very visceral kind of body horror, bio horror there. Uh, Matt, the, um, yeah. sure. There is a there is actually a a kind of flesh-eating slime mold uh, sort of a thing in the World of Darkness um, already. It's in World of Darkness Antagonists. Yeah, that was, I think, the one I was talking about with the vampire one, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it dissolves vampires right away. And um, that, and come to think of it in uh, Saturnine Night, which is the uh, the one source book for Promethean, mm-hmm. um, there is a Promethean whose natural form is gelatinous. It isn't, you know, black slime. It's this oh. very pretty uh, um you know, nanotech uh, sludge kind of stuff. But it would be very interesting to see, you know, kind of the the more biological uh, form of that, you know, a, a sort of more human cognition uh, trapped in that body. Mm. And that is, there really is a person in there. It's just been, you know, blasted into sludge and spread over the inside of the... Uh, the Chernobyl reactor. Now, can we help it get back into a body that uh, you know that it can use to walk among humanity? And if so, which of you would like to donate your body? And could it even help? <laughs> so it's like Cone of Flesh from Midnight Circus. Yes. <laughs> if we if we have to go there, yes. 
Oh, we always have to go to Midnight Circus when we can. I've got a copy of Midnight Circus I'm considering giving away as a prize. <laughs> I've still got a physical copy of it. My mother-in-law's and it's doing nothing. So I'm like, yeah, make a good prize. Um, Chick, yeah. Um, you know, radioactive fungal slime. What are you going to do with it? What are Changeling's going to do with it? And Changeling, they're dreaming. Come on. What are they going to do with it? <laughs> I don't care for radiation all that much. It's very banal. Yes. It's unpleasant. Um, but, uh, no, when I, when I read over this before the show, um, I was thinking more of a werewolf. Yeah. The radioactive stuff is always of the worm. So, I mean, this could be um, just a, a worm-spawned creature, some kind of horrible, freakish uh, femori that's trying to take over the uh, last remaining inhabitants of Chernobyl. Um, it could be could be the uh, the wild and the weaver striking back at the the uh, worm's little nest that it has going there in the Chernobyl ruins. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it could be the progenitors uh, trying to make something for whatever strange purposes they would want this uh, radiation eating bacteria for. Oh, they'd give it to the they give it to the void engineers. You know, sure. you, you're gonna have, get you're gonna have loads of radiation out there. You may as well have it there growing and creating whatever product you want. Right. So you uh, potatoes. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I actually had a had a crazy thought just now of how to use it in Geist. Um, so this is the this is actually a physical manifestation of the uh, kind of like ectoplasm, and is actually a anchor for uh, the dead that of uh, the unfortunate dead of everyone that's been ever affected by the radiation fallout of the Chernobyl reactor, and so you will find a, a purer form of this maybe dripping off uh, the walls or dripping or coating uh, the ghosts of them. Uh, in a domain that is tied to this very event. Uh, so that's an idea for Geist. Um, it's horrible. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's really horrible. I don't know where that one came from. And uh, But, yeah, the idea of a, of a, of a domain with this, as it's actually ectoplasm, is kind of foul. Um, yeah, and, you know, of course, Geist, you know, Sin Eaters don't really have to worry, because I think dying of it, you know, you're already dead. You're not going to be affected by this. Yeah, I think is that it? any last last gems in there? Okay, and we'll move over then to our last segment, which is going to be some more New World of Darkness, and we're just going to briefly chat about some other stuff that's been going on. So, of course, I think this is a good point with uh, considering we've been talking about Demon Descent, maybe to do uh, a little bit of you know chatting and uh, reflection on the fact that you know. God Machine Chronicles has been out for a while, and that's had a new uh, that gives us a new World of Darkness rule set, you know, an update. And of course, we're eagerly, I'm eagerly, eagerly awaiting uh, Blood and Smoke because uh, I'm a massive Phantom of the Requiem fan. So, um, really, um, you know, how's the feedback been going with God Machine Chronicles? And uh, you know, favorite features that you've you've seen in the rule set and that you've been enjoying, you know, using in your own games. Well, I think uh, people have really taken to conditions, mm-hmm. and uh, I know groups that I've played with have uh, really, really taken to them. I tend to write them on post-its, yeah, um, yeah. and so you've got your character sheet decorated with your little condition post-its, and it serves as a reminder when something dramatic has happened earlier that that dramatic thing should pay off later. Mm-hmm. It's uh, sort of a Chekhov's rifle reminder. 
and um, and I really like that. I really like the rhythm it creates in play, and it's worked really well for me in uh, actually running games. I've had the joy of uh, now actually running a game using the God Machine Chronicles rule set. Um, so uh, it was a hangout game with Mike and one of our you know semi hosts that's sometimes on for uh, Chronicle Design, James. Uh, he uh, they really enjoyed it, and I have to say it. it there there was a lot of a talk I, I saw on Google Plus like oh conditions going to really slow down the game because there's a lot more bookkeeping. It didn't really affect me that I was much. Gonna say, that Does, has not been my experience. No, not mine either. No, it not been my experience at all. In that, literally, we played through in four hours a story. Uh, I prefer the new combat system. You know, I say new combat system, the update, which is how damage is done and everything. You feel it flows quite well, um, and of course. I love integrity. I love just the entire, what that means compared to the old kind of humanity, morality system. Um, And it really represents what I think I've always naturally been doing with, uh, with that is, is, you know, you see something horrific, that's how you're going to react to it. And the question is how well you, you know, you respond to that. Um, no, I've really enjoyed it. It's been it's been great. So I'm looking forward to using it. Uh, I don't know whether I'm going to use it in my next World of Darkness game because I plan on running Geist. So uh, I need to see some updated rules from someone for that first. Um, the forums have been cranking away on that. Yeah, I have noticed that one. Um, so yeah, other good feedback you've heard on it or, or favorite stories about using them or, or things that you feel it's enabled in your own games? Um well, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of the setting material from the God Machine Chronicle. Um, as I mentioned in my Changeling game, we recently did something that was framed as a haunted house story. But what the haunting actually was, was that the house was a piece of infrastructure designed to collect the souls of people who had died before their time. Hmm. And so we had some magnificent experiences with exploring that haunted house, finding the, uh, you know, it was, it was an old lady's house. So there were these piled scrapbooks and in the scrapbooks were, were lists of people who had died early or disappeared or had yet to die early or disappear things from the future. Um, and it was, uh, it was really really creepy um leading up to in fact an encounter with the angel who identified himself as the groundskeeper um and uh hopefully hopefully the characters got away with reprogramming the house as a trap for true fae but we'll find that out (laughs) in a future adventure awesome yeah That's my my big God Machine Chronicle story, Um, uh, just just based on having leveraged the idea of infrastructure and angels. Okay, cool. Um, Matt, you've been you're you're currently running, of course, uh, your Demon Descent game. So obviously, you're definitely using the God Machine Chronicle rule set there. Well, I'm running Promethean at the moment, actually. Oh, but, oh, okay. Uh, but I, but I am using the God Machine Chronicles. I, um, I converted Promethean um, up as much as I needed to. 
and mostly that was a matter of actually the hardest thing to do as far as converting Promethean was the experience system because of the fact that you get milestones in Promethean, which then give you vitriol, which you can use as experience. Ah. But since this got converted to the system of beats and experiences, um, I had to sort of rethink uh, how I was approaching that. And <clears throat> and uh, so that, that, that took a little bit of... Uh, of work and hopefully I'll have a chance to kind of put that to uh, put that paid in uh, a God Machine Chronicles update to Promethean. Sweet. Um, if uh, if Rich is listening, I would really like to do that book, Rich. Um, well, we uh, I I think it's we stand a good chance of doing it uh, depending yeah. on uh, depending on a number of factors, but you know we've got uh, God Machine Chronicle updates coming out for Mage and for Werewolf next year mm-hmm. and. Uh, if those meet the uh, meet the uh, critical standards and the sales standards that we set for them, then I think we got a very good chance of doing uh, Promethean and Changeling uh, the yeah. next year. But Changeling don't take awesome. my word for it. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, this, this is not a promise. This is just you know the general direction <laughs> things are moving. We're just talking here. Oh yeah, it would be awesome to happen. I mean, uh, be in, to see them in in any form, whether it's like you know an official product or at least something to read on a forum to use it'd be great to have at least some hints or even um so yeah i mean you know how to give an idea how long had the the god machine chronicle update been really brewing for like how long it been in the back of your minds uh, before it took shape or or that you felt that to drive um you know the new world of darkness rule set in that direction well, I kind of did um, a little bit of revision to the rule set uh, when we did World of Darkness Innocence. Yeah. Um, and it was it was mostly simple things like uh, moving virtue and vice from a static list of, you know, seven and seven to saying, you know, here is here is what this trait represents to your character. You come up with what it actually is. Um, and then when we did World of Darkness Mirrors, of course, a lot of the rules changes uh in there were just you know us the authors coming up with you know these are things that we use in our games these are things that we think would be kind of cool um and putting them down on paper and what eventually became the integrity system um that i wrote for the god machine chronicle uh you can you can kind of see its genesis in the um in the kind of alternate takes on morality that show up in mirrors so it's okay. been brewing for a while, and then you know add that to you know kind of the different approach to game design that um, you know that David Hale and me and Dave Brookshaw and Rose um, sort of bring to the table. And Stu, don't forget um, Stu. Stu, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think it was uh, it was a it was a good team, and it was uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun getting that down. I think it took us about a six lot of- months all told to do the final revision, right? Oh, God, was it that long? It felt like so much longer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really big book. Um, it was a huge book, yeah. I, I, I remember uh, as, as you were doing the final development on it. Yeah, and um, one, of the, one of the things, uh, and this was entirely my fault, it just made for a lot of work for me, was I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do as far as the uh, the chronicle tracks that are in there mm-hmm. until 
after the authors were already done with the book. So everybody had already turned in their final drafts, and I was putting this together, and I went, oh, you know what would be really cool? Doing it this way. I'm like, and now I have to do it because they've already done their final drafts, and I can't act them for another one. Uh, so I wrote probably 10,000 words on that book that was was done after all of the finals were turned in and just spackling everything together. With that said, it was really gratifying to see the book go platinum on um, on drive-thru. And it didn't take very long for it to do it either. No, it didn't. I was very happy with that. Yes, it's yeah, it's a it's been a really great read. I mean, I know always with these books when they come out, there's so much stuff that I want to use, but I know I'll get around to using once I've told the chronicle that's been stuck in my head for a while first. So I will get around to using stuff out of that book and like out of Mummy at some point, other stuff soon but usually my way of when new stuff comes up is i'll use them as antagonists first to get a feel for them and then and then you know mess around with an actual more focused chronicle but yeah it was a really good read and you know the the new rule set is just awesome uh it really does does uh add to the game a lot more and i think it really helps focus in on on the horror and and nudges players towards how they should react to to those uh you know horrific events and uh and you know ask questions about what their characters are doing and what are the consequences of those actions it's um it's been great for that and of course this all feeds into the fact we've also got blood and smoke uh coming up and there's been some really good revisions we're seeing turn up in that both with how integrity is reflected in the new humanity and then how that translates into how our vampires in Requiem are now um, going to be able to do a bit of day walking in some form and revisions to to uh, powers I think in particular I like the new take on some new things in animalism um I can't remember what the new term is. Uh, the Auto Drac will have some new. The mysteries of the dragon. Yeah, so you have obviously you have coils, and you have all their um, their kind of alchemy, but you have their form of experimentation. So is that that the mysteries yes. of the dragon? So so the, the the scales of the dragon are the experimental procedures. So where we're sort of coming at with that is that the books have been saying for years that. The Order does all of this experimentation, and it takes all of these weird approaches to dealing with the vampiric curse. But the only way they've been paying off for us so far is in uh, finite and uh, honestly fairly narrow set of coils mm -hmm. um, that work primarily as weakness mitigation. So when we reconceived the entire Ordo Dracul uh, suite, we looked at what can we do to say that the dragons are successful at changing the kindred condition. Um, so we made the uh, coils themselves are now more about uh, changing the nature of the kindred game, um, mm -hmm. about manipulating the curse, changing it to your advantage. Um, using it to your advantage. And then the scales are the offshoot experimental procedures that the order comes up with while uh, working on refining the coils themselves. Okay. No, I really like that because, I mean, um, the Autodrackle, I 
but I think they're my second favourite. It's really hard. I think I like all the covenants for something in, in Requiem, and of course well, that's great to hear. Yeah, well, I'm massive. Like I've run, I've been running a my Vampire Requiem Chronicle, which is I guess still ongoing because we've played se- the, the second season of, and it's a Carthian-based city. And so the the Autodrakal Soloff is kind of antagonistic and then got back into the city and they're not so much the bad guys anymore. And I would love to return to that setting and play through certain time periods of what we've already done, but from the Autodrakal point, uh, point of view and see those events and look at, you know, how they do experiments. So um, it's good to have some more kind of like, yes, you can actually do experiments with your autodrakal characters and like really get into the 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 guts of 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 how they do it and and that's uh, that'll be really really fun and on in the same way um because of course we had the wonderful book on uh, blood magic and blood sorcery uh sacrament and uh, sacraments and blasphemies that's the one and that was that was awesome because it added uh, the th- uh, Therondes and also uh, how we can build up uh, blood magic using uh, different components in a very much more like uh, like a mage. So is some of that being folded back into Blood and Smoke or is that being kept to something more separate but still applicable? Well, so uh, Blood and Smoke presents blood sorcery as a system with static rituals. Okay. However, all of the static rituals supplied in Blood and Smoke are built with the system from Blood Sorcery. Oh, that's awesome to know. Right. Okay. That's great. Um, So you've got that, and you've also, uh, since the extended action rules changed in God Machine Chronicle, Mm -hmm. um, we've provided a sidebar that explains how to use those updated extended action rules with the freeform blood sorcery rules in sacraments and blasphemies yeah there was a lot of talk i think about that when when uh, both that came out and god machine came out okay that's wicked um i have a question okay sorry um is you said that they were built off of the rules presented in the uh, previous book is there a, uh, a simple breakdown of this uses this rule and that rule, and you can substitute that and this instead if you so desire? I'm sorry, I missed the last part of what you said. Um, it's built off of the uh, the previous system, the system presented in the older book. Um, does it say it uses this system and that system, but if you want, you can substitute this other system over here for either of those? Is it modular, I guess, is the question I'm asking. It doesn't present the full, like, worksheet for mm-hmm. creating the powers, um, but it'll be fairly clear if you look at them how they were constructed. Okay. That answers my question. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with um, with Blood and Smoke, and I think it's not that far off from release. So I think anything else, really, I think this is the best point to say, if people want to know more... I think we should wait until that book is closer to release and people should send in some questions to Darker Days and we can address that in its own little show. Because I'd have... be happy to come back. Oh, please, 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 because I will have loads of questions on that one because, yeah, I love the Strix and everything about Vampire. Um, and, uh, yeah. Let's get a, get a really big chapter <laughs> in this book. So um, I think a good point to wrap up because it really completes... Uh, a lot of the things that's going on with uh, New World of Darkness right now. We have Dark Eras coming up. 
So um, really, you know, where did this book spawn from and kind of what stuff are you involved in with Dark Eras? Um, you know, I know some sections have been announced by some of the writers. Some of them have not. You know, there's a few choices in time period. So kind of, uh, you know, what led you maybe to your choice of time period or location and so forth? Um, just give us some teases on that, possibly. Uh, well, first of all, Matt is the Uber developer on the book. Each individual line developer is handling their own chapter. Okay. Um, but Matt is overseeing all of us. I suspect um, I'll probably credit it in the book as project coordinator, although I prefer Uber developer. <laughs> uh, well, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see about that. I'm not sure how we're gonna how we're gonna credit uh, folks uh, there. Um. For me, I thought that the Elizabethan period was a really fascinating period for vampire because it's a period in which London is a tremendously exciting city. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, the, we're not calling it the Renaissance yet, but this is this is the English Renaissance. At the same time, it's a police state. Uh, Elizabethan uh, Elizabethan London is a place where people are monitored. Where um, where sedition is ferreted out, um, there's all sorts of politics that you can get the kindred involved in, and it's a transitional point in um, in the history of thinking about European empire. Uh, Elizabeth I wears the crown imperial, um, which uh, goes back a few generations, but which is basically the physical symbol of the idea of the British Empire. So what happens when vampires start thinking about empires? What happens when vampires start thinking that the Camarilla is a thing that can be remade? Oh, wow. And then, since there isn't a circle of the crone yet, Mm -hmm. who's occupying that role of dealing with the things that go bump in the night? Uh, Awesome. Yeah, there's a, that gives a lot of throwback then to how that connects with uh, what was presented in Ancient Mysteries with the uh, Nacht Kaiser, with, um, you know, again, a kind of a resurgence idea of, of a Camarilla of some form. So that's really great. Um, I know another one of the uh, dark areas that I'm particularly interested in is the, uh, the Changeling the Lost one that is going to be set in Paris. Is that correct? Uh, Swashbuckler era France, yes. Yes. So um, I think, uh, again, I will be quite excited to read that one because I love Changing the Lost. Uh, do we have any other time periods announced for it or uh, uh, for any of the other lines? I think um wasn't Werewolf something like the 60s, 70s, 70s. Flower, flower uh, Power? Seven. Seven. Uh, oh. Not, not 70s, Flower but... Children at all. Oh, okay. But, uh, no. 1970s. <laughs> okay. Kind of, more, uh, kind of more warriors uh, yeah. inspired it, than anything it, else. It's the 1970s in New York. Okay. And um, as presented via a very cinematic lens. <laughs> and do we have anything for that we have for uh, Mage or uh, Geist or, or uh, Promethean? Uh, don't think we're announcing um, Geist yet. Mage is actually the death and uh, the period short. Uh, well, it basically goes from Alexander's India campaign up okay. to a few years after his death. And it's going to get into some of the cultural roots of the of mage culture, and the fact that 
uh, if you look at the surface mm-hmm. in Mage of the Awakening, it's all um, classicism and theosophy and all of these things like that. Well, this is going to deconstruct that a little bit. This is going to say, well, what ideas did we get when the Greeks, who you know invented Atlantis but don't really believe in it at this point um, – what do, what do we get when they mix with the Persians and their traditions of astrology and mysticism? And how does that sort of come forward to create some of the elements of mage culture that we know today? Ah, stunning. I mean, culture clash as a factor in supernatural cultures is going to be huge in that section, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's going to be really cool. Yeah, because uh, the other thing I thought uh, when, you know, I, I guess that's the reason why the Elizabethan period was a... Uh, was maybe a better choice for vampires because also it seems like a also a really good time period for mage because you've got John D obviously and uh, and his Enochian and uh, you know being the uh, you know Queen Elizabeth's uh, astrologer so um, you know I think that there's going to be a lot of content from all of these different sections that are going to be more than applicable to any of the other. Uh, World of Darkness games, and more than likely a really good read for um, even classic World of Darkness uh, readers, because I'm sure they could grab some great ideas from any of those sections. Let me throw you this about Elizabethan Vampire. Okay. (laughs) Takes place the year that Christopher Marlowe was assassinated. Okay. I'm not too hot on my Elizabethan history, Christopher Marlowe. Um, Uh, Playwright and spy. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Finally, I think then just to wrap up so we can finish off here on this very long Demon Descent chat and everything with God Machine and so forth. Um, is there any other stuff you guys want to plug that you're working on? Obviously, we have uh, Cavaliers of Mars. has uh, had its quicks on out for a, a while now. Um, and any other projects that you want to talk about or that are upcoming that are either related to Onyx Path or maybe just other things that you're dabbling with? Matt has some really exciting stuff coming up. I do? I do, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Growling Door Games, this is the company that I run with uh, my wife, Michelle Lyons-McFarland. Um, we have our third Kickstarter, which is going to launch in January, God willing, and the creek don't rise, uh, for a game called Daedalus. And okay. Daedalus is a cyberpunk setting um, that's going to contain uh, three games within it. And it sort of depends on, I don't want to, get into it here because you know it's this is yeah yeah this yeah. is uh, yeah it's this is not it's not onyx path so i don't want to burn too much time but basically there's going to be three games within the setting one in fate one in gumshoe and one in apocalypse world oh wow okay that's really and interesting if you, if you want to have a you want to get a look at a a, a teaser picture uh you can check out uh daedalusrpg.com okay it's nothing but the picture at the moment <laughs> worth looking at okay great um and yeah, actually, talk, going back to Cavaliers of Mars, do we? Have, is there a? What are we expecting? Are we expecting anything on the horizon soon from that? So Cavaliers of Mars, uh, we're still looking at uh, 2014. I guess it could slide to early 2015. The main product will be the core book. We've got some supplements we're talking about. We've also got an interesting web project that we're doing some technical exploration on. 
I don't know if that'll actually come to fruition or not, but it'll be really neat, and it'll be something Onyx Path hasn't done before if we do it. Jig, any last anything final? I have one final question that needs to be asked. Well, you go ahead and ask it then. Cool. Uh, for Rose, considering I think I was showing back, this is your first time on Darker Days, isn't it? I think I was here uh, a couple of years ago, actually. Yeah. But, uh, then that question may probably. Back I was when I was at C- back when I was at CCP, I think y'all had me on. Oh, it may be on that. I've I checked the list and I couldn't find it. Oh, uh, well then that kind of question is redundant because that's the uh, the classic. Uh, you know, what household appliance would you be? That's always been us. <laughs> well, then, at that point, then, I think it's a... Good... Coffee maker. <laughs> yeah, coffee maker. That comes up so often. Excellent. French press. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think that's a good point, then, um, to plug your website where people can get in contact with you, uh, whether it, and also Twitters, whatever. So, uh, Matt, your website, uh, you gave for your Daedalus one already. Uh, your main website, then, is... Yes, growlingdoorgames.com okay and rose blog.fantasyheartbreaker.com excellent and of course people can get all the news and everything else from onyx path publishing they can find that fairly easily i'm sure anything Uh, else please watch the vampire the requiem facebook we do a lot of updates there. Oh, yeah, you, you really do. Yeah, I do watch that one. Um, of course, people can go to uh, Quick, uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Kickstarter, yeah. Kickstarter, putting Demon Descent. We'll put the link in the show notes as well, and you can see what you will get if you pledge, and there are numerous pledge levels there. Um, and if people wish to get in contact with Darker Days Radio and uh, send us questions, because we do, we do plan to uh, give away a physical prize because we've been racking up some dry throw RPG credit. So uh, when Blood and Smoke hits, we are doing a physical copy giveaway of that as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, So uh, we can be contacted at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com and you can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Twitter at darkerdaysradio. And of course we have... Finally, we have over 200 members on our Google Plus community, so uh, that's a good place to uh, chat, ask questions, and uh, find Hangout games as well. Um, And, of course, there's our blog, which right now, because I am running uh, non-World of Darkness stuff, is festooned with pictures of painted toy soldiers uh, that are are killing things. But, you know, you've got to play something else to refresh your your etheric resonance batteries. and with that, I would like to say thank you to uh, Matt and Rose once again for coming on the show and giving us uh, some of their time to talk about Demon. And of course, thank you to uh, Chig for putting up with all this New World of Darkness talk. You'll get a you'll get your own back uh, next time when we're going to talk uh, a lot about Void Engineers, I believe. I plan on it, yes. Oh yes, we're going to talk about those damned scientists. And with that, uh, ciao. That's it. Bye. Bye. Bye.